Today on Ag News Daily. And they are very much positioned as the healthier alternative, the better for the environment alternatives. And then when you flip over the package and you see the ingredients and you realize where all they come from or what all those ingredients might do to your body, I think there is some common sense setting in. Good morning, listeners. Say. Agnes Daily Edition brought to you by Mystic Lubricants. For a full look at their line of products, go to mysticlubes.com. Tanner Winterhoff joined by Delaney Howell here on November 3rd. I almost said Wednesday, but it's Thursday, Delaney. Yeah, you seem a little less chipper this morning, Tanner. Is Harvest catching up with you? Uh, It could be, sure. Works good. Works busy. The podcast is good. Harvest is good. Everything's busy. Everything is busy. It's that time of year. And it's hard to believe that Thanksgiving is, I think, three weeks from today, correct? That is correct. It mm-hmm. is. It's going to sneak up on us before before we know it. I think my wife showed, shared an Instagram post with me that said Halloween was one day and Thanksgiving was so many days and Christmas was a couple more days. And Valentine's Day was, I was like, this is enough. I don't, I don't need to see that. <laughs> yeah. That just puts you into panic. And then you're like, when is my anniversary? When when do I work that into the timeline? Oh, I got that coming up here in a couple of weeks. So, yes, <laughs> it's uh, it'll be busy here as we continue to go through the holiday season. Got a couple updates on the Nord Stream pipeline. The initial data has now been gathered on the location of the damage from line one. The Swedish exclusive economic zone, Russia, of course, is the state-owned Gazprom. The majority is majorly is the one who owns that pipeline. According to the preliminary results, the damage site inspection, technogenic craters with depths of three to five meters were found at the seabed of those areas. So definitely uh, continuing to be ruled as sabotage. But here, locally, we jump into the ethanol report that we talk about every week on Thursday. Ethanol output rose to its highest level in almost three months, while inventories declined again. Production averaged 1.04 million barrels per day for the weekend at October 28th. That's up from 1.033. So just a slight jump. Again, this is the highest level since July 29th. However, inventories have declined to 22.23 million barrels that is down from 22.29, so still a significant jump there. Delaney, I'm sure you've got more news on this, but it looks like ethanol and ag groups are rallying behind the EPA as uh, the EPA just rejected 69 small refinery exemptions as a trend that continued to follow. Oh, no doubt. I'm sure that we'll get lots of news out about that today, Tanner. But I have a little bit of news here related to the Mississippi River levels. We've seen multiple officials, including the mayor of Memphis, Tennessee, and the co-chair of the Mississippi River Cities Towns, Cities and Towns Initiative, said on Tuesday on a call with reporters that these are the lowest water levels he's seen in 35 years and is calling on federal drought aid to help with these low river conditions. Barges, of course, are limited in weight and size to just nine feet and five barges wide are all really that can move right now. Southbound traffic on Tuesday had 30 vessels with about 500 barges 
waiting in the queue near Greenville with another 50 boats and 500 barges waiting to move northbound as well in that same area. But calling on some federal aid here, Tanner, I don't know how that aid would work or support them. Um, of course, the Army Corps of Engineers is preparing to reduce water flow for the winter, which is, of course, also impacting the overall barge traffic movement. But Tanner, um, this is obviously not really news, but you sent me a TikTok not all that long ago looking at some folks that were dumping or hauling, I should say, grain out of, I think it was Minnesota. Was that right? That's correct. They were loading loading barges at a river port in Minnesota. So and they, I don't know. It yeah. seems like they're, we're getting mixed signal, huh? Yeah, I think that there's still, since significant dredging had been done, they're still able to move barges down the river. I just, like you said, it's it's no longer the width that it would have been previously. This is also a good time. It states, uh, I think I read another article that stated that when the river gets below a certain level, the Army Corps engineers does require dredging. So there may be conditional or additional capacity being built into this process during the dry period as we move forward. But let's jump outside of our own country again, hit a couple of headlines. North Korea fired three more missiles, including a failed intercontinental ballistic missile, forcing Japan to use its evacuation alerts again. This comes one day after Kim, the leader of North Korea fired 23 missiles. That was the most it had fired in a single day. We reported on that yesterday about what is going on. Of course, this is now continuing to cause headlines and is being seen by retaliation vow for what's going on geopolitically in the South Korea support which is why North Korea is continuing to push back. There are several failed tests this year. U.S. officials are continuing to monitor this. But Delaney, after we recorded yesterday, you, the Russia country, oh, that would make a lot of sense, Russia had rejoined the grain agreement as their frontline bombardments continued to take a toll on their fleet in the sea. So Russia walked right back into the decision to pull out of the U.N. broker deal. They're right back in it again, ensuring safe passage for grain shipments across the Black Sea, alleviating fears of a food crisis. This is more than likely due to the increased level of shelling that the Russian ships received in the Black Sea corridor. And they're looking at this as a diplomatic effort to uh, win favor, wartime favor, with other countries that may be starting for food. So that headline came out yesterday after we had recorded. Well, Tanner, it may not be all roses ahead, though, because shipping giant Maersk on Wednesday warned of gloomy times ahead for global trade as they say the war in Ukraine, the energy crisis and high inflation could create supply chain, continued supply chain challenges, really. I mean, we've been in this pattern now for the past couple of years. They said that clear rate freight hikes have peaked and have started to a little bit at least normalize during this quarter, but they anticipate that that could continue in 2023, especially if we see more debacle coming out of the Black Sea region. Yeah, that will be interesting to see if it has any effects on what we've got going on here. We've had a lot of transportation headlines the last couple of months, and we will continue to monitor those. But let's take a pause here for a message from our sponsor today.
Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. The last piece I have, Delaney, for today, the Fed yesterday raised interest rates another 75 basis points, further pushing borrowing costs higher. We are now higher than the last time level of the Great Recession. So 75 basis points pushed to try and knock down the stubborn inflation of the nation. At the conclusion of its two-day policy meeting, the Fed on Wednesday said that they voted unanimously to raise the rate by 75 basis points. This is the highest level since the early 2008. The officials also changed their tune a little bit not only saying that ongoing increases in the Fed funds rate will be appropriate, but also adding that the community, the committee will take lags of monetary policy into effect. So what does this mean for us, Delaney? They're looking at potentially slowing down the hikes after this meeting, but still stating that the hikes are going to come. So does that mean we're only going to have a half at the next Fed meeting, or does that mean we're going to start to just flatten out? However, uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell stated that he does not see a reverse of rates coming anytime in the future. So this is causing a lot of investors to state that loan rates will be well above 10% by the middle of next summer and deposit rates may crest 6%. So it'll be interesting to see if this actually fixes what they want it to on the inflation side of things. But for now, it doesn't seem like the Fed is going to stop raising rates. Yeah, Tanner, when, when interest rates come back down, I'm sure you get an influx of refinancing. Is that accurate? That would be correct. So if you are looking at booking a loan in these times, make sure that you do not have a prepayment penalty, or if you do, you fully understand your prepayment penalty, because that would be the only thing that would stop you from having the ability to come in and refinance. But Sometimes it's worth paying the penalty because the rate became so much lower. But yes, when rates would come down, uh, loans booked in the current environment would be subject to refinance. I always wondered. I've, you know, only bought in a house once, so I've only been paying attention to interest rates, I feel like, over the last couple of years. So I was curious what happened yep. when things did come back down. But Tyner, I have just one final piece of news here as well related to China. Their customs authority has updated their list of approved Brazilian corn exporters on Wednesday, which apparently opened the door for more Brazilian exporters to start sending their corn to China. Now, Tanner, this does seem a little bit like a strategic move for China, as, of course, we're watching to see how their relationship changes with the U.S. It's pretty obvious they are trying to figure out new ways to create partnerships so they don't have to be quite as reliant on the U.S. And this new list that they included uh, was an additional 136 export facilities, uh, including facilities owned by ADM, Bungie, Cargill, Louis-Dreyfus, and Cofco, located in Brazil. Interesting. Yeah, that, we'll see what kind of strategy plays out of that, because we're going to certainly feel the impact if things continue to move forward. We certainly will, but eh, that could be a little time down the road here. But what's not down the road today, Tanner, is lower commodity market prices. New crop corn here in mid, the mid-morning trade is down five and three-quarters cents at 681 and three-quarters. 
January soybeans down 16 and a quarter cent here at the mid-morning open at 14.37. December Chicago wheat seven and a half pennies lower at 8.38 and a half. And in livestock, the December live cattle contract down about seven cents on the morning at 151.35. November, excuse me, January feeders unchanged on the morning at a buck 80. And December lean hogs up 37 and a half cents at 83.62 and a half. Tanner, without further ado, before we get to today's interview, let's hear one more quick word from today's sponsor. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Well, listeners, today we are joined by a new friend of mine, Anne-Marie Rorink, president of 210 Analytics. Anne-Marie, thank you so much for joining us. Can you start us off by just giving a little bit of your background and what your title means? Oh, absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me. always uh, love the opportunity to talk to the people that actually uh, make food happen. So first of all, thanks to the entire ag community for uh, doing what you do. On my end, uh, I guess my uh, best translation is uh, a research geek. I uh, love trying to understand how people interact with food. I mostly look at how they interact with food, meat, produce, seafood, candy, you name it. Um, on the retail side of things. And one aspect of that is trying to understand sales patterns and uh, where people buy, are they influenced by sales promotions, those kinds of things. But at the same time, too, we love talking to consumers directly so we can really understand the why and what they want to know about their food, uh, why they might be struggling uh, with the idea of eating meat, uh, and what can we do as an industry to help take away some of those questions? Yeah, I've been following along with some of your research that you've been doing now for a few years, and I just love all of the information that came out. I remember one of the biggest pieces of research that you put out that had an impact on me in the way I think was during COVID when we saw the really rapid acceleration of meat purchases and seeing empty produce and meat counters at the grocery store. So certainly excited to dig into this a little bit further with you, Anne-Marie. When you look right now at where we're at as far as a consumer base goes, what do you see as the biggest trends here heading into 2023? Well, of course, uh, the the big discussion in really any industry, and we're not isolated from that, is inflation. And if you look at the pressure on income for consumers, it is tremendous. So if I just look at overall food and beverages sold at retail establishments, they're up about 15% year over year. But if we go back to pre-pandemic levels, they're up 27%. So I sincerely doubt many of us on the phone here today or the listeners to the podcast are making 27% more than you did in 2019. So that just means that people have to make choices. And it isn't just food and beverages. It's it's gasoline. It's really everything. 
Um, so what we're seeing is that credit card debt is rapidly reaching all-time highs while the national savings rate is reaching all-time lows. So people have been substituting their income in other ways. And that really affects what people are buying in the meat department as well. Now, uh, not all bad news. I would say if we're looking that most meat, and of course it depends a little bit whether we're talking beef, chicken, turkey, what have you, but we're sitting between 20 and 25% over 2019 levels in terms of our price per pound. And yet our units, so how much we sell, is almost flat, maybe off by about half a percent. So that means the consumer market has really absorbed a lot of those price increases um, while staying loyal to meat. And I think that is a tremendous thing to call out because we get clobbered in the media so much about, you know, people are struggling with eating meat or wondering if it's good for the planet, for them, for the animal. Um, but at the end of the day, despite all this pressure on income, they are very loyal to the meat department, the meat category, and making sure there's uh, meat on their plates at least several times a week. And Anne-Marie, at CIB's Feeding Quality Forum, I loved hearing you talk about those consumer preferences and how they're changing and what they're based on. But aside from meat, looking at other animal products, we had reported earlier this week about the increase in non-dairy milk alternatives going, their prices and their buying going up. Is that going to hurt the dairy industry with those sales going up? You know, plant-based meat alternatives is actually a very uh, passionate topic for me because uh, this is where math comes into play. And I'm going to answer first for the meat sector. The total meat department retail sales is $85 billion with AB dollars. Total plant-based meat alternative sales are half a billion dollars. So it is a fraction of the total sales. So what happened initially as these items gained distribution, meaning packages at retail, um, is you saw big growth because it was growth on the pinprick. It's easy to double and triple a pinprick <laughs> while, you know, trying to grow $85 billion is a little harder. So what we're seeing is that initially there was a lot of trial, a lot of sales growth, and now it has all fallen back down and less than 10% of all American households purchase plant-based meat alternatives. So flip for a second to the dairy side of things. We have another issue in play there, and that is allergies um, to what I would call regular cow milk. Um, and so that is something that is driving at least some of that sales, and especially in a world where younger consumers are highly aware of the various ingredients and they look for claims and they're very persuaded by those big starbursts call out on the packages. So yes, you do see that on the dairy side of things, the percentage of total sales is much higher than it is for meat. But I do believe it's important to keep in mind that that is um, a much more mature category uh, as well as that uh, allergy component to it as well. And Anne-Marie, as you look at those alternative proteins, alternative dairy options, the biggest question that I get asked from farmers and ranchers is, do you think there will be a time when these take away from my business raising livestock and livestock byproducts? And at what point do we see those products becoming the major products that consumers are buying? Do you think we'll see that point here in the near future? 
Absolutely not. And that is, you know, as a researcher, I don't often um, give that absolute as a, of an answer, but I, I absolutely looking at the numbers, looking at the trends. So I'll go back to that 10% of households who buy the plant-based meat alternatives. There was a lot of willingness in the U.S. to try them because there is some guilt relative to, you know, what is eating meat the right thing for the planet? Is it the right thing for health? Is it the right thing for people in the supply chain? Um, because of all that noise that is happening in a lot of the consumer press. So there was a willingness to try it. But when you see that ultimately half of the people who have bought plant-based meat alternatives never buy them again, there's an issue with taste. And I actually think that is one of the biggest lessons for us in the meat industry. And that is ultimately you're only going to get a repurchase and that loyalty and that love for a product if people have a fantastic eating experience. And that is something that all the meat industries have done tremendously well. We've had a lot of focus on um, scientific ways in which we can make sure the quality is as good, as consistent as it can be, how our environmental environmental impact uh, is as good as it can be. So I think we have to really be better about celebrating our successes and you know we don't have time for that we don't tend to do that um but i think you know that is something where consumers look at the what they believe the positives of these alternatives and they are very much positioned as the healthier alternative the better for the environment alternatives and then you flip over the package and you see the ingredients and you realize where all they come from or what all those ingredients might do to your body, I think there is some common sense setting in that perhaps uh, this isn't the healthier alternative or this isn't the better for the planet alternative. And um, I would truly encourage every single one listening to this podcast to, you know, just continue to talk to people that you know, continue to be out there, answer people's question. People have tremendous trust and faith in the farmer community. And um, I think that is just our opportunity to be as transparent as we can be. I think transparency is the currency of trust. And like any currency, you protect it. And, uh, you know, just being out there, if we convince one more people, one more person today than yesterday that eating meat is okay, you know what, that's a win. And Anne-Marie, touching on that convincing part, what are some of the tools and ways that you think are the best ways for farmers and ranchers to reach consumers and gain that trust? And what tools should they be using to do that? So I think, you know, I see a lot of um, requests for visiting farms, et cetera. We know that is hard to do. Um, but at the same time, I think there are some really interesting Examples coming out of the produce industry, for instance, where uh, folks have taken to TikTok and YouTube and all these different areas where they just put very authentic, quick little videos together. Um, there's one guy, Shay Myers, out of California on the produce side. He grows onions, asparagus, a couple of other things, and he just grabs his phone and he talks for a while about Hey, you know, I get questions about where the temporary workers live. And, you know, there's all sorts of wild stories going around about their horrible living conditions. And then he goes in, shows the buildings, talks to the guys in the field, and, and he just really brings to life uh, what it is like. And he's gained millions of followers. And, you know, not everybody has that kind of time or talent or 
ability to do that. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, uh, if, if a couple of us can do it, or like I said, even if we convince just one more person today, I think that is a win. So Anne-Marie, we've been talking a lot about the research that you put together. Do you have any sort of resources that our listeners can find or sign up for or just find you to listen to more of your interesting insight? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I, I love hearing from anybody in the industry. I love getting picture stories. Um, that's what brings it to life to me. And, and I happily borrow away as I talk to others. Uh, so find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm sure we can uh, list my uh, my name and spelling somewhere. Uh, but also, yes, there's many studies available. We do monthly performance reports. There's the Big Power of Meat study. Uh, there's a specific to pork, beef, what have you, all sorts of different information. And as I mentioned, I love hearing from anybody, always willing to share, happy to answer any questions, talk consumer trends. So, yeah, absolutely looking forward to it. We loved hearing from you too, Anne-Marie. Really appreciate you joining us on the podcast. And we will be sure to list your name and everything in our bio once this goes up so that our listeners can find you. All right. That sounds great. Well, it's been a great conversation there with Anne-Marie. I really enjoy following her on LinkedIn because she's always sharing interesting trends uh, related to shifting consumer demands. But also, I think it's good to hear reassurance from her that she doesn't believe that animal protein nor animal byproducts like milk products will ever be truly replaced. Yeah, that is a good message to hear. It gives a little bit of security on our side of things. I agree, Tanner. But... Let's see, we got one more episode for the week, so we've got to keep our listeners entertained tomorrow. This might be the last Farmer Friday interview if Harvest Progress continues to push forward like it is. It certainly could be, Tanner, but with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.